Hi, and welcome to Nasio Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Alex Whitaker in Washington, D.C. We took an extra week off between podcasts to recover from a successful NASIO mid-year conference, but today we're back. Today, we're talking with Nebraska Chief Information Officer Ed Toner about some of his successful projects and initiatives as state CIO. Let's get started. Ed, welcome to NASIO Voices, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks, Ed, for joining us. Before we get into your work in Nebraska, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to your current role as Nebraska State CIO? Yeah, that's kind of a funny question because uh, I never planned on ever being in the public sector at all. I was private sector right out of college. I was an industrial engineer in manufacturing, did that for several years, started to migrate into the technology world while I was in manufacturing, and then got my first true technology job with Blockbuster Video out of Dallas, then moved to TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade transferred me from Dallas after a couple of years to Omaha, Nebraska. And then I moved over to First Data. And then I got a call to join the state. Uh, My former boss at TD Ameritrade was Governor Pete Ricketts. Uh, So you can see where that connection kind of happened. And like I said, it was It was one of those things I'd never planned on being in public service, but I always enjoyed working for the governor. So uh, it was a good opportunity. And you've been CIO. I think you're kind of one of our top tenured CIOs at this point. How long have you been state CIO? Yeah, that's that's a nice way of saying I'm getting old, right? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) uh, Seven years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, with that, I think our average is around like 28 months or something right now. So that's that is pretty good. You're getting up there, which is great because you've been able to do so many things. We're going to talk about some of that stuff today. You know, Nasio talks a lot about governance and the importance of it. And you in particular, you have such a great handle on the governance of state IT in Nebraska. And from some of the conversations that we've had, I know that governance is important to you as well. So how have you been able to establish trust with the agencies so that they're coming to you for help instead of directly to vendors and vice versa? How do you keep the vendors coming to you instead of directly to the agencies? I think it all starts with trust. And the only way that you can gain the trust of agencies or your customers, if I go back to my private sector days, is full transparency. So you've got to be very open. I wrote a blog the other day, you know, I talked about data, mm-hmm. right? If you don't have data, it's just your opinion. And I, I found that even in the private sector, people would say, oh, yeah, we're great. We do a great job. Well, give me the data that proves that you're great, right? Mm-hmm. So it all starts with data and transparency. We publish our metrics monthly. Uh, we provide those. Those are open for people to see. And yearly, we provide those to the public. But we provide them internally every single month. And we've experienced an increase in service levels every single year. We consolidated in 2017, and from 17, 18, 19, 20, and again this year already, we're seeing improved service levels. And so that trust is the number one thing. And then the the second thing is explaining to them very much like a private sector would do is the business job is to fully focus on their line of business. Mm -hmm. 
I'd never heard a marketing person or a broker or anyone like that saying, well, you know, what kind of server are we going to buy? Now, that's not their that's not their role. That's not their line of business. Our line of business is servers and networks and support and making sure that they have everything they need to do their jobs. And so it's really explaining to them that every day, 24 hours a day, they should be focused on customers. Same thing in the private sector, same thing in the public sector. It should 100% be working for their customers. And when they find that they have a need that needs to be filled, then they come to us and say, hey, this is what we're seeing. This is the functionality that we're missing that would be much better if it could be a cost savings, it could be an efficiency savings, you know, whatever. And then they'd come to us and say, can you think of a solution? That's the way it should be. Technology people are the ones who understand everyone else's solutions, and, and we have a better handle on that. We ask them, of course, you know, if it's DMV, well, what are their DMV is doing something like that or things like that. But we will do the investigation of that for them and then come back with some solutions for them. And that's, you know, very much a private sector mode hmm. of operation. Uh, we often find that we already have the tools in place working in another agency that we've done that exact same process with. A good example is our fraud detection tool. I was contacted by the chief of staff saying, hey, I need a fraud detection tool for these five agencies. Great. We've got one. It's already deployed. Mm -hmm. They were going to go out and RFP. Yeah. Well, that's where consolidation really comes into place because we are about to have five RFPs hit the street. Well, no, we didn't have to RFP at all. We'd already done that a year ago, and we had the application already running. So when we went to them, they said, well, how long How long till we deploy? And I said, you tell me. It's already deployed. You just have to start paying. Yeah. You know, and, and so that's really what it is. And then that, that builds up the trust. So first, transparency. Second, trust that I will deliver a solution for them. Now, why do the vendors come to me and not them? That is the result of the first two things, transparency and trust. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a vendor come to me probably six months ago saying, hey, I really apologize. I went to X agency and they just screamed at me. And (laughs) I said, well, that's because that's not where you go. You come here to the office of the CIO with any type of um, new product or any type of pitch. And I said, well, exactly what did they say? And they said, well, they said that's what they pay your rates for. Said so they're exactly right. That is why they pay me. Yeah. They pay me to do the validation. They pay me to ensure that one, you're a credible uh, vendor, that you have a history of success, that you can deliver. And why should someone, I'll pick on DMV again, why should someone in DMV do, you, do that type of research when that's really my job to do that research for them? Yeah. Absolutely. It makes so much sense and it seems so much more efficient. And then you're eliminating the risks of shadow IT and, you know, providing the expertise from the the place where there are experts in technology. So yeah, that yep. makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And that's that's the key, you know, with the governance. Governance is like policies. You can write a policy, but if you don't have a, a way to enforce the policy, it's worthless. Yeah. Um the same same thing happens with shadow IT. I got a call from another state saying, I know that you have a governance committee for cloud applications. I said, yes. And they said, well, how do you get people to even 
apply. I actually fill out the cloud governance form. And I said, they have to. And I said, well, why do they have to? And I said, because they don't have admin rights. They don't even have admin rights to their laptops. So how could they actually go out and buy a solution, you know, have it installed if they have no way to do it? And they went, oh, okay, well, that that makes sense. I said, they have to come through the front door, which is a governance committee. Yeah, that's great. So let's pivot a bit to workforce. We're hearing from all kinds of states about workforce challenges right now across the board. And you've spoken publicly in the past about the success you've had partnering with local colleges and universities to bridge that workforce gap. And I know that you and I have talked specifically about how you had a whole team of low-code software experts you brought on that way. So I'd like to hear a little bit about that. How's that going now in 2022? Did the pandemic and the great resignation have any effect on that program or that process that you like to use? Well, we we certainly were impacted by the great resignation as far as we had we had more turnover than we we had experienced previously. The um, result though is that we also have we used to go uh, the offices of CIO to the different colleges and universities and do our own recruiting because we could never really convince anybody else that this was really worth their time. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out, though, that we had about four or five agencies join us just two weeks ago on our recruiting trip, and we ended up kind of overwhelming, I think, the students because we had 25 people from the state show up on campus <laughs> trying to hire them. And it has been a lifeline, and they're now seeing it. So the value of it, the governor always saw the value of it, and our goal was never to retain the students for a very long time. Our goal was to train them up, get their resume going, and then hopefully have them join a company here in Nebraska. Because one of the things that came out just the other day is we are the biggest exporter of talent in the country. All of our youth, uh, when they get out of college, a large number of them decide they want to live somewhere else. And so mm-hmm. It was a little bit of an initiative of let's train them here and then let's hope that they stay here if they quit. Well, our goals were set pretty low for how many we could keep. We actually are beating the national average as far as keeping IT folks. Our turnover is very small. And actually, in that group that we recruited and uh, have really fostered through the system for years, it's incredibly low. You know, it's under 10%. It was 4% the last time we checked, but that was pre-pandemic. So I'm sure it's gone up. Mm-hmm. But when you have that low of a, a turnover rate, it just pays for itself. And we continue to to recruit. We recruit constantly. And we've moved out of the low code into networking, into other app dev areas, help desk, you know, the service desk, desktop support. We're grabbing as much talent as we possibly can. I was at an event just last Friday, ran into the dean of IT at one of the other community colleges in Omaha, and now he's agreed to join in our recruiting efforts. So we're kind of expanding our reach. That's great. And when you talk about the turnover, is is that like leaving the state, the state of Nebraska or leaving the state government? Most of that, the majority, and we keep a lot of good figures on that, we lose them to other Nebraska companies. Okay. Um, and we keep track of them, too. So we watch their progression 
And that way they know that they're always welcome back. Yeah. So we get feedback from them. Good example. I was just talking to someone last week about one of our, our really good skilled folks that we got from the community college. And that person has already jumped jobs two or three times and is asking us maybe security is something that they were looking for later, right? So they always want to keep that door open that they can come back to mm-hmm. us anytime. And we make sure that's that's totally available to them. That's great. Yeah. And that's really fascinating. Those are some pretty remarkable retention numbers. I know that it's kind of really impossible right now at this point to have a conversation with any CIO in any state um, where they don't talk about some of the workforce challenges. So would love to know if maybe you could talk a little bit about the actual philosophy for getting folks excited about technology. You talked about some of the great outreach you've done, but some of the things maybe that you champion and the benefits of working for state government. Um, And then if you have any tips on other um, things that other states could do to, to kind of mirror some of the successes. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we had like 25 people go to the campus last week or two weeks ago, and we brought X recruits. Probably the majority, a good, you know, 20 or so were recruited right from that same exact location. And now they're managers for us. So they've moved up the ranks very quickly. We started this seven years ago when I got here. And now we have a large number that can say, yeah, I started just where you are. And now I'm a manager. And, you know, the pay's not bad. It's not as good as uh, the private sector, but you're going to have a job, you know, and there's great benefits working for the state. And, the tool sets, we always bring up what we own, what the type of tools we own, what they're going to be doing. And the one thing that I really focus on when I give talks at the universities is I came from very large companies where you were siloed. You just saw one piece of the IT world and you never got out of your your box. So in other words, you're a Java developer. That's all you did. You saw code. That's That's it. Eight to five. That's all you're doing if you're lucky enough to work eight to five, you didn't see or have any type of of view, especially as a young individual starting out, you didn't know who the CIO was. Uh, you didn't have that type of interaction. And so I always, when I do speak to classes, I talk about the fact that they're going to get a hands-on experience. They're going to get to know me. They're going to have a lot of folks in their same age range And it's even more, I think, coming up in the future, we're going to have some economics are going to force a lot of people out of the job. We're already seeing layoffs in some of the some of the companies that I know about, especially in the finance world. There's already layoffs happening. So even though they're saying there's two jobs for every person, there's still layoffs in the technology world, especially in the large companies. And so there's there's nothing like having a steady job. And I keep talking to them about that. Got it. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Thanks. And I wondered if we could return to a moment. We, we've mentioned some cross-boundary collaboration that you've done in Nebraska so far. But specifically, um, last year, you all consolidated, I understand, 110 aging state-owned servers um, that were spread across um, many counties in Nebraska. So wondering if you maybe want to talk a little bit about that and if you have any other cross-boundary collaboration projects in the works you'd like to highlight. Yeah, we do. And, and it's easy to sell, right? Each of the counties had at least one, if not more, AS400 sitting in their county, and they really did not have the talent. Think about the ones out in the very rural parts of the state. 
And did they really attract the talent to maintain that equipment? And the answer is no. And so we would go to them and they would have a one or two AS400s, big I series. And they weren't even being used. I mean, it was 5%, 10% capacity. So what we did was we bought two large I-series boxes, put one in our data center in Lincoln and one in Omaha, and we run an active-active configuration. So they've ended up getting the resiliency of two boxes. And what we did was we partitioned them, one for each county. And when we partition those servers, then we just charge them, and you can do the math on it. If you've got 100, let's say, you have a, an I-series box, and you divide it 100 times. Well, what do I charge them? I charge them 100th the cost. And then I automatically create a secondary instance, which they've never heard of before. And we load balance between the two so that they're always going to get availability. Well, they're still paying just 100th of a server in Lincoln and 100th of a server in Omaha. So it's not really a big sales job. It's show me the money. Uh And then it's, oh, you mean if we, if you have an outage, we just automatically hit the other server? Yep, that's what you do. And we've had it happen. Court systems are all on our servers. The counties are all on our servers. We actually do support for monitoring and we house all the infrastructure for the city of Lincoln. We've been asked to do some work for Omaha, and we do sell them a lot of storage, things of that sort. But to be honest with you, what we've done, because we have so many customers, we've kind of raised the bar on the entry. It used to be going around asking them to join. Now it's the opposite. We're getting pressure from other areas to bring on more public entities and what we've done is we've we've raised the bar. What we tell them is you have to give up 100% of your control if you want to join our organization. And so we now are in the position of we don't ask anyone to join us. We just tell them, if you want to join us, here's the list of things that you are going to have to give up. And why we do that is, you know, certainly they have to fall in line with all of our policies and procedures. And as I said, no one gets admin rights. So they have to give up a lot of control. If they're willing to do that, they can join us. If not, as I've said publicly, I don't need any more customers. I've I've got plenty. (laughs) It's a good problem to have. It is. It is. All right. So Ed, I'm curious, what are some of the other top priorities that you are focused on right now as you look toward the rest of the year and into next year? Really, our our number one, we just released a couple of weeks ago, and it went better than expected. We are creating what the governor refers to as a no-wrong door. We want the residents, taxpayers of Nebraska to log into the state and get any service you want from one portal. Uh, We're starting with Department of Health and Human Services, and we call it ISERV. It went live two Saturdays ago, I think, and we had 10,000 people log in to the portal and a couple of thousand changed their passwords because that was one of the things that we allowed them to do. We've always had logins, but we've never made it very easy for Mm self-service. So with our new B2C model or business-to-customer model, we have made 
them one a single place to go and then find services but then two to have much more control over their own destiny as far as i want to change my password i want to do different things they can do it now that they weren't able to do before mm-hmm. and that was a, 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 a rousing success i mean we we got we were prepared for the worst but we got no calls <laughs> uh we made the switch over everything went well the first thing that we did was you if you want services for instance from dhhs you fill out a little questionnaire and then from the questions, the way you answer the questions, and it tells you all of the programs that you're eligible, you may be eligible for. And then you simply mm-hmm. click on each one and answer the questions specific to that program, SNAP, TANF, Medicaid, uh, whatever. And we don't ask you the same question twice. Mm-hmm. And so once you, we get your name, your number, your your email address, all of those things then we don't go and and that's the most irritating thing, right? You fill out a, a form and then all of a sudden you fill out another form and they're asking the same questions. We yeah. made sure that we don't ask the same questions, that we store that and we use it in other applications. We're starting that with DHHS and then we're hoping to expand that out. Again, I used to sell these things and now it's stiff arming people and selling them. I'm not ready for you yet. We did this. We wanted to make sure that we got it right for DHHS we have about six agencies that want in, and I've kind of pushed them off because I didn't know how much cleanup we'd have from our release, but we didn't have any. So right now, I just had a meeting this morning. We're going to let a few more in so that they can start making use of that. So I would say the, the next year or so, that's going to be a big focus is everybody has one single place to get services, one single username, one password. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can do self-service on that. Yeah, that's great. I know that's the dream for a lot of states, <laughs> for as far as what we're hearing lately. So another question for you, as far as we know, you're the only state CIO that writes a regular blog. Tell us about that. You mentioned it earlier. And what led you to start it? My first week, I had a person come to me and say, you know, a great way for us to understand who you are is to start writing a blog. And I said, <laughs> You don't understand my degrees in engineering. I didn't take English. <laughs> um, so they said, well, that's fine. Just just write what you're thinking. And tell you the honest truth, I was petrified. I thought, are you kidding me? And so at, at first, you're going to, if you read back to my 2015 blogs, you'll see it's a lot about leadership, just things that I expect from people and, and, and how I run an organization. And then it turned out to be more and more technical. And the technical was really things that we were, encountering in the state. And I just wanted to send the message. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. This is my philosophy. And it just blew up from there. It's it's amazing how many people get back to me and, and say, yeah, I totally agree or disagree with, with some of my premises and some of the things that I, that I write about. But mm-hmm. the one thing that's, that's certain is that my team knows where I stand on things. And so it's a good way for them to understand my views. And now it's just become more than that. It's blown up, you know, into a communication uh, vehicle. They know that if we're in a big project, in fact, my last my last blog was just about the project I just talked about. It was, you know, building on things and making sure, though, that we don't create a legacy by building on top of something that's unsupported. 
Mm -hmm. uh, which we did not. And it was just something that we came across. They've upgraded. They've done what what I needed them to do. And I wrote about it. So a lot of it is it comes from from those type of experiences and then saying, okay, here's my philosophy. We don't build on unsupported products. It just doesn't happen, folks. Yeah. It seems like by taking the time, you know, out of your busy week or month or however often you write it and thinking those bigger thoughts about what you're doing, it probably helps you to solidify the way that you go about things or the way that you think about things. Do you think that like that practice of writing the blog has shaped the way that you serve as CIO? Oh, absolutely. It. They now know that when I have an opinion, how did I form that opinion? And mm -hmm. if you notice a lot of my blogs, I give a lot of just bullet points of things. And so it's not just, this is Ed's view. This is backed up by, I try to sort through and find sources of mm -hmm. truth that I can say, okay, here's why I'm thinking about this, because here's what XYZ consulting firm says. This is what a survey just said. This is what I just read. And so they know that where I stand and they know that, how did Ed come up with that? Mm -hmm. Well, it, I don't come up with too much. I just read a lot. And so I try to reference. And that's the one big thing is referencing. Again, it's my theory on data. If you don't have yeah. data, then it's just your opinion. I don't want anybody to think, oh, this is just my opinion. So I try to I try to research quite a bit. And what it does is it keeps them from thinking, okay, he's not really thought this through, right? It's, right. It's, he has thought this through. He is referencing things. And so you're right. When I get into a meeting, it's a pretty short conversation. Yeah. Because they know that I can just pull out. And it's numerous times they will pull out a blog when they come to meet with me and go, okay, I know this is how you feel. And <laughs> let's let's talk about this. And, and it does shorten the conversation. Mm -hmm. Very cool. That's fascinating. Ed is a political science major who hates doing math. I can certainly admire an engineer <laughs> who decides to write. So that's, uh, that's very cool. <laughs> uh, Believe me, so, I, I, uh, my mom is very proud that I actually can put two sentences together. So that's great. <laughs> well, I cannot do calculus and I'm not going to start. So um, I'll, I'll just keep reading your blog. Ed, thanks so much for joining us today. We've really enjoyed the conversation. But we can't let you leave today without asking you a few fun questions about your life outside of work in a segment that we call The Lightning Round. Are you ready? You bet. Okay. So we hear you're a fisherman. What's your favorite place to go fishing? Maine. My wow. wife grew up in Connecticut, but she went to college in Maine, small little college, University of Maine, Machias. And her brother, her youngest brother and his son are both lobstermen. So I get the opportunity every year to go and, and fish with them. And it's a great time. And then there's another lightning round thing. My my wife has 15 brothers and sisters. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they're spread all over the country. So I have plenty of places to uh, to go and fish. That's, but Maine that's is awesome. my favorite. Yep. Yeah. I did a whale watching tour in Maine once on a lobster boat. So I know how beautiful it is up there. Speaking of Maine, any vacation plans this summer? We just got back from Ireland. And that was a blast. We had a really good time. and. I'll probably around September, October, go back to Maine and uh, do some lobster fishing. 
Awesome. And sort of the reverse of you vacationing, if someone comes to visit you in Lincoln, what's one place you would take them? Here in Nebraska, you know, I work in Lincoln, but I live in Omaha, and that's 45 minutes difference. Oh. And the funny thing is, I really don't know that much about Lincoln. <laughs> I, I I know the Capitol, and I know the universities, and I know the two-block area around the Capitol, but I'm not real familiar with Lincoln, so I'm going to give you a place in Omaha. And the place to go, if you're a family, is the Omaha Zoo. It's, it's incredible. It, it really is everything that people talk about. And if you love baseball, you will never, ever experience anything like the College World Series. It Ah. is just one huge party that is just amazing. Whether or not you've got a baseball team in the College World Series or not, it's a wonderful event and a lot of good people. Great tips. Thanks. Yes, Ed. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule today to talk with us. It was really fun and enlightening. And I think with your seven years of CIO experience, um, a lot of us in the tech world can learn a lot from you. And it was also really good seeing you in person in Maryland after too many years, thanks to the pandemic of uh, (laughs) keeping us away. But I hope we get to see you again soon. Absolutely. We're looking forward to the next event. Right. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to NACIO Voices. NACIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. You can learn more at nacio.org. And check out our show notes for a link to Ed's blog, and we'll be back in two weeks. Take care. Bye.